Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today, we're going to be interviewing Ryan Hornstra, strength conditioning coach at Ethos located in Chicago. We're going to be talking about how he addresses the idea of force length and increasing active range of motion for someone that maybe has a lot of already built-in potential. Ryan has a plethora of experience with soft tissue and different systems of flexibility and mobility. So he brought in a lot of incredible insight. And I think this is a great segue from what we've been talking about in the past three weeks. Before I let you get started on the podcast with Ryan, I want to give a quick shout out to Realize.me, your command center for all your health and wellness data. I personally use Realize.me for all of my tracking, all of my wearables, Aura, Polar, everything I'm doing from an internal and then external measurement. Like I track all of my force plate stuff, all of my Nordic stuff, all of my grip squeeze stuff. Anything that I am tracking gets sent over to my Realize Me platform, and I can see it all in one single source location. And this was a big problem for a very long period of time because I had a bunch of information siloed off and it wasn't actually communicating. And I couldn't do anything and I couldn't see the cause and effect relationship. Uh, for the next big part of Realize.me is the interventions. I can create experiments to see the cause and effect relationship on all of my different data that I'm collecting. For instance, right now I'm doing a body comp body recompositional plan. So I'm seeing the net impact of a gram of acetyl carnitine, relatively speaking, to the training that I'm already doing. I can see the cause and effect relationship. Was it a good or bad intervention? Did I need to change anything else? And I can see that right there every single time. Other big aspect to realize that means you're going to get discounts on not only high quality top top level branded supplements, but blood work and any other kind of test. So this is going to be a really valuable platform for not just, you know, hackers or anyone else out there looking to improve their overall wellness and function or optimize, but strength coaches, you know, and I look at strength conditioning coaches as on the forefront of health and vitality, but it's such an afterthought for so many of us because we have so much on our plate and we have to think so external or be so selfless with our time. Other big announcement is we have Strength Deficit available for pre-order. It's going to be $10 cheaper than the retail price through our website. So if you act now, you can save yourself 10 bucks on a future retail price, as well as get access to the, the strength conditioning programs I utilized at Army West Point in 2016 that really inspired the book. And trying to get the more practical aspect of this combined with the actual mechanisms to why Strength Deficit may work to give you guys a great snapshot, as well as the PH curriculum and get access to a huge library of all exercises, testing and metrics, and different programming that I utilize with increasing or decreasing the deficit, relatively speaking, to eccentric and concentric strength. But without further ado, I'm going to turn the mic over to myself and Ryan. I think this is a great podcast. I was really excited to have Ryan on, and I hope you guys enjoy. Yes, uh demands of their day-to-day -day life what they've gone through and how that's impacting a lot of their their movement patterns a lot of uh what they might need to do in order to to uh strengthen through some of their their range of motion expand some of their range of motion and get them performing at their highest level whatever that means to them whether it's going to be uh elite athlete or to uh the gen pop person who wanted to throw a ball with their kids so a lot to pull from on that description. And I kind of want to open up with this. Like 
with the mentioning of Preston and obviously very strong Paula Quinn connection, so structural balance assessment. Uh, with me, functional movement screen, potentially, um, maybe even with UCLA a little bit, uh, and then potentially looking at some of the stuff you've been doing with ethos and a functional range assessment or even just a traditional FRC systems approach. And then the final level would be your you know, clinical work working as a massage therapist. And you know now what is like, what is your screening process? Like you have someone who comes to you, they say that there's, they want to improve their whatever. And you go, okay, like here's my process to develop their, their function or their capacity. Well, what is your screening process now with all of that at your disposal of what you've been exposed to? So uh, in a perfect world, uh, the passive range of motion, active range of motion are equal. And uh, knowing what I've seen and what I've learned through the FRC system there, it's uh, never the case. So I think the first approach is, is having that conversation, seeing if they actually know how bad their movement is intrinsically. I mean, that's the biggest wake-up call um, from athletes that I've talked with in the past and in previous settings and people I see here. Do they actually know where they're supposed to move? And once they're able to uh, understand where they're at, and gives them a better idea of where they need to go and what the road kind of looks like to get there. I think overall efficiency of, of putting these different lenses together is the biggest thing I've been able to, to learn from. So trying to perfect and, and make that more efficient. And like you said, because more about the, the FRC system and the, the functional range assessment has been probably the biggest tool to uh, help athletes understand where they're supposed to be moving, what actual range of motion they have control of. Uh, from there, and the, the awareness factor goes into uh, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to implement from a movement prep standpoint and to a training standpoint in order to move safely and, and uh, progress in a uh, constructive manner into creating joint health, optimizing the, the performance at those joints and at those end ranges. I think the functional movement screen is, is a better way to assess the actual movement patterns of those joints, how they're connecting, and that would be the next level off of that, being able to, to toss in some of these um, movements from and corrective exercises from the FMS system into an activation so that we're in gen pop setting here at, at Ethos, and our screen process a little bit less technical than uh, force plate and uh, FMS system, and we're able to implement some of the the uh, movement screen into the actual warm-up and, and movement prep. I think that's the, the most efficient way we've been able to, to find so far, uh, still work in progress, and uh, exciting to see how people are responding to some of the training and how we're able to change some of the program design for following phases uh, after what we see. Uh, I know the uh, actual training program and going into trying to implement more of the functional range conditioning system has been uh, fun to kind of manipulate from uh, a developing 
intensity standpoint at the joint and the capacity of the joint versus trying to figure out how to add volume, uh, any movement at that end range, uh, you know, a lot more in early passing. So it's been, uh, more of something we've been able to implement into the, the activation for our, our, uh, simulation phases, uh, the pails and rails are something we've been able to pop into for some of our members in the group training setting. And then personal training wise, it's something that, uh, People coming in off of a, a long week is something I'm able to, to use at the towards the end of the week if they've been sitting around a lot, a lot of time under tension on specific muscle groups from sitting eight to ten hours a day. So it's been able to to help open up some of that range of motion and and then adding in the, the central neural grooving off of that in order to help uh, the body prep for the work that we're about to do. Uh, going into the manual therapy lens and, and going through and having deeper conversations in between sets within that rep, they don't kind of understand their, their previous sport history and how much that impacts how they move. I know, uh, in a group setting, it's a lot of ebb and flow. It's not as, as, uh, guaranteed with all the vacations that people take in the summer and, and these holiday weekends, like July 4th that just passed, it's, it's uh, <laughs> a lot more variable to, to account for. It keeps it exciting. But being uh, able to understand the movement patterns from a previous history standpoint and from a functional movement screen collective exercise standpoint uh, helps us keep them safer, bottom line. Walk us through the movement prep, movement assessment, are you looking at their cars? Are you looking at pails and rails? And is there like something quantifiable? Like, is it like, all right, now I'm going to give them like an FMS three, two, one, zero score. Like what is the, the process on that for you? So run through a general visual uh, to understand the narrative, how we do things. It starts with uh, cars first thing when they come in. Uh, from head to toe, usually start with a cat camel to observe spinal motion. And then, like you said, it's more of a car to set. We keep all of our groups, we have the, the uh, very grateful we're able to keep our group the, the small size, anything between four to 10 people is where we cap things out. So it gets pretty intimate in the, in the training center. You get to understand how people move and get to see how it changes on a day-to-day process or day-to-day basis. And the car's assessment is probably the first thing that we're able to, to uh, account for beyond the, the state of their mind, the state of their, their rest, the state of their energy when they walk in the front door. Uh, after the car's assessment, you're able to kind of have those conversations on an individual level. If you see something wrong, you see some people moving a little bit slower, a little bit uh, less smooth, you're able to have an eye on them when they go through the actual activation. We usually implement two to three uh, total body movements for our activation series and usually a little bit more neural for our intensification days. And then uh, within that activation, if people need 
a little bit extra uh, extra mobility, extra movement stuff, extra activation. Uh, we toss in a lot of the FRT system. We'll toss them in some sort of say squat. They will toss them into and hit PR and have them hold that 90-90 for a good 90-20 seconds and just breathe, just figure out how to irradiate that position. Helps us keep them a little bit safer as they go into uh, their higher intensity squat day. And then similarly on uh, upper body, we'll do a little bit more of an isolation exercise. It's more of a shoulder and overhead press, vertical press day. We'll toss in a little bit more trap, a little bit more, uh, a little more of a a uh, trap one to three, more like a prone swimmer. We're just trying to uh, let their body know that it's supposed to move overhead with a lot of the people that we work with. A lot of them sit at a desk and a lot of them are pretty much in a constant uh, fixed position throughout their day. So the opportunities they have to get their arms overhead and get their, their mid and low back engaged are minimal. I think being able to, again, give them that awareness that their body's supposed to move there initially will give us a lot safer range of motion, safer movement pattern when we start to load it up overhead or so, horizontal. So I, I, I get, and not to press here, but I really want to kind of get the, um, the diagnostic during the cars. Cause that's an active range of motion assessment. If you really think about it, what is the actual diagnose or the, the diagnostic that you're looking at? Is it, all right, they grimace, they have pain, so zero. Is it they couldn't go through a full degree of articulation based off a joint, whether it's a hip, shoulder, ball and socket, so flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, internal external rotation, uh, hinge, or like elbow and knee, like couldn't flex, internal flex extend or internally externally rotate, or is it like ankle and ankle and wrist where it couldn't flex, extend, ab and adduct? Like, are you creating a like internal like measurement system of, okay, they had pain, zero. Okay, I can't do these exercises. Or they couldn't get through the full degree of excursion uh, based off the joint's function. So that means I have to do these almost lateralizations during the movement prep of the, you mentioned like 90-90. Less about like what you're doing, how you're doing it, I guess is my big question in terms of how are you determining if there is a intervention needed during that CARS assessment? The biggest indicator that I've seen is their ability to irradiate through their entire body. So within that car's assessment, if their entire body isn't isolating at one joint articulation, uh, being able to see and observe where that motion is actually coming from. And what does that mean from a length tension and structural balance standpoint? what is actually doing the work that that joint is supposed to be doing. And then that's where uh, the conversation follows that what, what do we need to do to find and let the body know that that is the compensation pattern and that the irradiation needs to stay constant within the, uh, the, point of conversation. I think the 
level two cars are one of the biggest things. The next step, being able to isolate and, and give the body an actual feedback mechanism from uh, quadruped hip cars or standing hip cars with the PVC, then taking them over to the rack, actually lock them in on the rack and, and coach them up on how to break through the floor, on how to activate through and isolate that one hip articulation through the femur. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing to keep an eye for is people's awareness of their body space. And then knowing what pieces of that kinetic chain, chain may need a little extra uh, assistance, a little extra activation based on where the compensation pads are coming from. Give, a, give an example. Let's look at a shoulder car. What are you looking at in terms of they're not a rating and they don't have awareness? Shoulder car, mainly looking at their uh, shoulder ability to stay square through the trunk, and then also looking at their uh, position of their scapula, whether that that uh, is elevated or depressed as they try and rotate through the through the shoulder through the glenohumeral joint specifically. How much of that compensation is coming from the actual scapula, and then the biggest thing is if their ribs end up playing, if their inability to to connect their upper body to their lower body in order to articulate through that one joint capsule. Um, from there, we're able to. Uh, I think the most approachable way, especially coming off of COVID, people are a little bit uh, wary of, of hands-on uh, coaching, so using some, some uh, yoga blocks, tap in, actually brace into their body and uh, create tension, show them that it's okay and actually advantageous to create tension through their entire trunk. Actually lock down on the lat itself in order to get extra overhead range through the GH specifically. Um, the actual breath itself, they're holding their breath the entire time. If the breath doesn't feel easy, then, then I think that's the final thing to try and lock in on beyond the, the shoulder rotation, not shoulder rotation, trunk rotation, and the flaring of the ribs. So with now, you've kind of worked through your movement prep. You've kind of test retested. You're looking at it now, getting into the training session. You know, where does where does active range of motion relatively speaking to passive range of motion what does active range of motion get relatively speaking to passive range of motion when you're doing your primary programming your a series if you will of some of your big primary exercises relatively speaking and not doing any kind of i guess internal assessment or any kind of preparatory work what like what do you get when you do really good direct active range of motion work in the training session, relatively speaking to not. So the people that are more attentive and, and more uh, uh, intuitive usually can pick up and understand their range of motion a lot better. And again, coming in this, this uh, gen pop type setting, it's a wider range of individuals. Uh, Watching those with a younger training age get under the, the bar for the first couple of sets, it's, it's more of giving them an awareness, especially in their, their first warm-up sets. We typically do a warm-up set of, 
of five, three, potentially two with a higher intensity day on uh, specific movement patterns that were working in that A series. And within that, with our group size being so small, people are paired up. We have maximally six people working at the same time. Uh, being able to, to understand that their mechanics on that bar based off of their young training age, they might not understand where they're supposed to, to place their feet. They may not understand where they're supposed to place their hands. And being able to, to again, goes back to the cars assessment, watching their shoulder rotation, watching how their body interacts with that specific implement, whether they're, they're goes into a bench press, whether their lower body is even connected to their upper body in order to maintain the tension that's necessary to load that through the actual first few working sets. Uh, then going into the actual active range of motion to generally progressively uh, load straight sets or step loading through majority of our, our uh, phases, accumulation and intensification. Uh, listening to your progression is typically uh, used in that, that training phase. And then the first week, of our two-week blocks, we'll coach to finding that full range of motion, understanding what that feels like, being able to irradiate again through the entire body. And then the second week, once they have that, that feeling, once they're able to establish that control, then we'll load up that second week a little bit higher intensity. So in regards to now having more active range of motion, you know, you're thinking when we get to the point where we are reaching the threshold of that muscle belly to create force through that range, there is going to be some unnatural compensatory action where they either don't have the, the stress strain relationship. Um, hysteresis, hysteresis, hysteresis is the word that I'm thinking of. And now we have to come back and say, let's say that we're doing, a traditional poliquin style split squat or front foot elevated split squat with a lot of knee flexion and we are taking that rec fam entire quadricep muscle through about as much length as you can possibly get it um, relatively speaking a more upright chin and 90 degree parallel which kind of just gets a lot of sarcomeres in the middle of that muscle belly you see this compensatory action where they're trying to offload the tension at that range by shifting your hips back. What is your frame of, what is your frame of reference when you're going, okay, do I cue them here or do I try to reverse engineer how to get more contractile tissue at that length so I can get at least the right machinery to do it? And I don't, this is kind of a chicken or the egg question, but, um, the reality is we're all going to read this like rate limiting step from the sarcomeres or the length that we don't have, right? Either we don't have the length or we don't have the ability to generate force at that length. Hence, aberrant motion happens during movement patterns. What is your strategy there? Are you thinking, okay, like default to some sort of external cue, default to, okay, stop, let me do some sort of regression, stop, let me do some sort of modification where I'm focusing on some shortened range or lengthened range, um, 
contractile stuff and isolated setting. Like, what is your thought like there? How do you reverse engineer a pattern that's just not working? First thing, for just from a triage standpoint, number one is how do I keep them safe in the moment? So that typically is some sort of coaching cue to establish uh, paper biomechanics under load. Uh, then once I'm able to to address that, then it's a, a bigger question of why. What, uh, uh, what in their movement history and their training history would elicit that response? Um, and then what additional what additional program design or additional movement and corrective exercise needs to be implemented in following phases if that's uh, a common response from from uh, the group as a whole. Uh, being able to to uh, have that conversation in a smaller group gives uh, an opportunity to understand what what previous injuries they might need modifications for uh, helps them kind of understand what their ability level is, what what their body is capable of, what they might need to put extra work in for because it, it helps them understand that everyone's body doesn't move the same. I think that's, a, that's an assumption that I made a lot as a coach is that people knew that everyone's body didn't look the same, but uh, coming in after, well, I can't remember how many years I've been with but being able to have that conversation and help them get that awareness has been the biggest thing. And then helping them understand what's going to happen if they don't do something about it. And this is what I, this is what I'm seeing in your biomechanics. This is what I'm seeing in your movement pattern. And this, these are our options on, on how to approach it if you so choose. This is something where uh, if we're not actively trying to, to improve our range of motion, improve our control through that fourth plane curve, trying to, to balance out that package, uh, that passive and active range of motion, it's not something that's going to improve on its own. I think one of the most eye-opening uh, things I learned in the past couple of years is from Simone Fortier, uh, a uh, actual manipulation seminar that I attended up at Spear and talking about how fascia every night creates a new, new, actually like a web to hydrate itself. And if we don't bring our body to a full range of motion following day, following morning, that web stays and the next night it creates more webbing. And then uh, over time, it ends up creating an heat. And once they've traveled so far down that road, you, again, looking at the different different uh, lenses, different systems that we can implement from uh, uh, FRC standpoint versus a manual therapy standpoint, what do they need and what do they need to invest their time into in order to get the health and performance that that they're looking for. What hands-on stuff 
whether it's some sort of external tool or some sort of direct pressure or tack and release or active release, uh, manual therapy, have you utilized that you thought has made the biggest change in terms of creating, I, I guess you can go either passive or active range, um, but creating some sort of better end range or passive range control uh, at some of these deeper articulations of these joints. Like, is there any hands-on tool? I remember Charles talking about, and it was definitely a plug of Gua Sha is a really good tool to open up the fascia at some of these underdeveloped parts of the muscle group because the fascia is restrictive. Um, and it gives the, I guess, the opening of that space to allow for um, more sarcomere development. Um, any methods or tools that you've utilized that you thought have like been really helpful in that regard? I've definitely implemented some fast range techniques in Gua Sha. I think timing and timeline of, of when you want to see these results is the biggest thing to consider. I think that's a pretty invasive method. Definitely works. Definitely uh, gets the job done. It's more of uh, how do the biomechanics change and how do we regain control and over that, that range that we just opened up the fastest. Uh, more gradual if timing isn't a constraint. I love uh, the simplicity of this myofascial release, a lot less invasive, but it also takes a, a little bit more time to implement. Um, FR and, and uh, ART, again, from a continuum of, of more invasive, less invasive. I think functional uh, range release will be one step uh, more invasive and more aggressive than that myofascial release. And then going into uh, your ARC, being able to see the, the immediate results watching Preston uh, do ARC on some of the players' laps and their ability to get overhead range of motion uh, pretty much instantaneously. Uh, think how much time you have and then what, what, uh, your next step? What are you using to train to that full range of motion? I think being able to implement the tails and rails instantaneously after is going to be the beyond just the simplicity of, of cars. Tails and rails after you do some sort of manual therapy should be necessity. Again, it depends on how many lenses and, and what your your uh, scope of practice, I think, uh, being able to understand how the functional orientation system fits into, uh, again, the length tension conversation, being able to to load heavier within the strength conditioning setting, safer with more control through their range of motion, being able to implement more advanced protocols like uh, one and a quarters or uh, uh, isometric pauses in the bottom, being able to to uh, use accommodating resistance uh, a lot sooner and uh, specifically after manual therapy, I think that's, that's the, the general continuation function range system and then tossing in 
uh, more accumulation through that end range. So with that being said, um, and let's get a little bit more granular on the soft tissue stuff, because I think it'll help in terms of context. You do a functional range assessment. And for the folks out there who aren't familiar with this, is FRC's kind of overarching umbrella for their entire system, right? So if someone doesn't have passive range, that means they have some sort of neurological block. The golden tendon organs are responding to uh, high amounts of tension and sending some sort of reciprocal inhibition to the antagonist muscle group, creating some sort of blockage on the opening angle side, right? Or the muscle spindles responding, sorry, to length, and that's sending the inhibitory message to reciprocal and through reciprocal inhibitions and golden gold tendon organ responding to tension and just sending some sort of afferent, efferent messaging system to cramp or get out of that position because it's no longer comfortable there. Um, so on that level, um, they don't have the ability to articulate that joint passively. On the other level, it would be active. They're manually, mechanically trying to pull their their joint into a certain position, right? Flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, internal external rotation. And that's more towards some of the mechanical tightness we're associated with that. So do we have, again, the contractile tissue at that range to create that that passive passive range equal step, right? Can I get close or within proximity of that passive range? No, okay, I probably have some sort of poor contractile ability at that length. Now, in regards to direct I guess, techniques that you could use, you see someone as passive range limited. Are you using some of the more invasive strategies like ART and functional range release? Or are you thinking on the more like, let's start to look at this globally and look at the dermis layer and work our way in from a fat tool, self-myofascial release perspective? Or is it like, you know, I'm just feeling the tissue, seeing what the pain response is. If they're just overly sensitive, then I kind of have to become less and less, I have to become more and more intense as I go, I have to start really light. Like what is the thought from a passive range? And then I'll follow up as soon as you're done answering that with the thought process on the active range. This is uh, something I'm still exploring a bit. I think the thing I've seen the most is that usually people that are more restrictive passively are, they definitely come in a little bit more and it's inflamed state, a little bit higher stress. Uh, and their overall nervous system seems like it's overload, not as recovered. So I typically like to incorporate more of a, like a myofascial release, self-myofascial release, whether it's, uh, again, just a two-minute hold in that pail, uh, an opportunity for them to breathe. And maybe some uh, assisted fascial stretching. And that's kind of what I've seen so far. More aggressive will come after that. Uh, that's already been a part of the conversation. If they're doing the things that they need to from an overall health standpoint in order to essentially earn the more aggressive treatment. To put then, it plainly. I'm sorry. And then from an active perspective, you know, they have good length from a passive range of motion perspective. Now they have mechanical mechanical issues, so they just can't get to that position voluntarily. You're thinking now what from a soft tissue or uh, therapy perspective, like is it now going into ART? Is it like now we can get a little bit more higher threshold, apply pressure to a specific 
theoretically adhesion and trying to pull that thing into length um is it going to like even pnf type stuff like where you're asking them to contract at that end range or is it um end range or eccentric neural grooving which is kind of like creating tension as you lengthen it like what what is the um what is the thought now there in terms of active range and some of the modalities that you have at your disposal i think once they're they're uh nervous system can handle these, these more aggressively. Just like you said, the, the PNF uh, is pretty comparable, I think, just for understanding purposes, to the, the rails and, and tails and rails system. Um, being able to soften more neurologically taxing uh, movements from a mobility standpoint, uh, those passive range holes, and then from Again, manning a therapy standpoint, if, if the nervous system, again, isn't the underlying factor, it's more of an active range of motion, mechanical tension, then passive uh, raising technique and, and the gua sha, something that's, that's definitely making a comeback in overall gen pop health. I think people are getting overall understanding of, of the effect it has on their body as a whole, more than just uh, point training and, and, and uh, biomechanically. I think the, being able to, once we open up mechanically through manual therapy, being able to, to reconnect the dots essentially from, uh, from a movement pattern standpoint. Uh, going into uh, a compound movement, being able to understand how to use the uh, yielding isometrics. And, and uh, I think my favorite uh, protocol to implement, especially with new people coming in, for them to figure out how to irradiate in that new range of motion is uh, the pre-position pauses, pre-position isometrics being able to figure out how their body works in that space, time to understand how to breathe, understand how to connect the lower body to the upper body. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, so let's get a little case study in there. You know, let's look at it from, you have a hypothetical client come in, um, or it could be a very, actually a literal one, depending on where you want to go with it. They are hypermobile. They've been doing yoga for, for years, uh, they danced through high school and they're incredibly capable from a passive range of motion perspective. They say to you that they want to get stronger, right? You know, very nebulous, but poorly defined term in a lot of ways. What is your thought process from a, a initial screening or testing perspective? And then from a training perspective, let's just say that they're going to come to your traditional plan of like three times a week, right? Whatever the, the standard is that you have them come in. And then what is the, what is the intra training cycle testing as well as the post test look like? So someone coming in with that type of background, hypermobile, gonna, again, the, the ratio of passive to active range of motion is something that we first address through uh, that car's assessment walking in 
and just being able to to knowing that backup, being able to see the control that they have within that space. Um, then from an activation standpoint, seeing their their compensation patterns from their previous athletic history, seeing and understanding, being able to have a conversation with them about previous injury, what might flare up, when does it flare up? And then uh, understanding the specific movements within that that uh, program of the day, whatever is upper, lower, typically we try to, to push that type of, of athlete more towards the total body, unilateral based uh, body composition program, uh, to understand the work capacity, the physical work capacity, and they're really the same control and that irradiation factor through their full range of motion. Uh, most people think, especially within the setting, kind of uh, uh, blessing that people just getting into fitness uh, or people that are coming off of COVID are a little bit more intimidated by strength movements as a whole uh, within uh, our facility here. And then knowing that their confidence in their their movement pattern and, and their overall physical health, being able to uh, assess from a movement quality standpoint uh, in the program from that A series compound lift all the way through the isolation movements in our C series, being able to see how their strength uh, operates through that full range of motion, how their body goes through an isolated joint movement in that C series, seeing where the compensation patterns come from, whether it be uh, upper body, pathways, where are they using tension from their, their elbow? And, and compensating into their shoulder. Where are they, where are they uh, rotating through their, their thoracic spine in order to get a little extra uh, push from the bottom and that end range? And how to have that conversation with them on how to approach that. Do we need less weight? Do we need an easier movement? Do we need the back it off completely and toss you on the floor in, in some sort of uh, tail hold in order to understand where your body needs to generate tension there. What do we then uh, toss in more of the FRT system where within that such a big gap between active passive range of motion are we tossing a lot more centric neural moving, tossing them into that end range and then watching them control, letting the nervous figure out what it's supposed to do within that gap. And uh, once they're able to understand how their body is supposed to move, it's been pretty fun seeing how fast they pick things up. And I think their awareness, I think overall general awareness of how their body's supposed to move and, and what they need to do, the steps they need to take to get there, have been the biggest thing. Cool. Um, so I, I want one more question. And again, I don't know if there's a hundred percent right answer on this one, but now that you're 
You're extremely well versed in both factors here in terms of the force and the length continuum here. You know, you have the capability from a soft tissue perspective, from direct intervention of creating length in tissues um, in capsular space. And the other side of leveraging certain movement patterns to create force, you know, in regards to in regards to now, like not saying there's a default, but if you have to say there's one area that just quite frankly is going to be the bigger rock to push, is it more on the length and the perspective? And this is a global answer for everyone, gen pop, elite athletes, just thinking from a general perspective. Is it better to push on the length part of the rock or is it better to push on the force part of the rock? Global answer for all athletes. Everybody in the world, homo sapiens. The force and being able to generate force and closing the gap between that passive and active. Being able to generate force within that range of motion. I disagree. I absolutely disagree. I think it's great, though. I think that's kind of the point of why we're bringing other people. And my rationale is very simple, is that it's chicken or the egg, but it's fractal. It's fractal based off the idea if you don't have the length, the force doesn't matter. If you have the force and you don't have the length, it's going to be a bigger problem. You know, and I look at it from you're limited from what you can essentially do in that shortened range to a very select few things. If you have the length, you can, in theory, have better potential to improve force at greater degrees of excursion. Um, so I, I always lean on like the and the same thing from energy system development. We have gotten a couple of debates on Twitter with some folks about like, is it better to like improve the force or the velocity or the power of somebody and then and then build in like and then the efficiency you get from having a higher developed area in one area or is it developed a better developed capacity or oxidative function so you have greater potential to do more volume or density within a training session or within a microcycle uh, i think capacity you know so length and capacity are foundational for force to force at greater lengths and then foundational for you know more phosphagen related things uh and the ability to recover from that so you have a higher ceiling um but again i think it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing and i don't think there's a direct answer but you know i think it's a kind of cool answer for somebody who has the capabilities of doing hands-on work doing some different flexibility mobility modalities uh that you know hey i think it's force um and that's kind of the fun part behind all this all right. Um, so lastly, I, you know, any big take home for you in regards to here's some things that I'm kind of like, I'm looking into, I want to learn more about, I think there's some really cool areas coming up here in regards to flexibility, mobility, or just in general, to be honest, it come from a actual, like a chemical perspective, right? If we don't have, you know, if we look at as FRC would describe a, a joint capsule ground substance and, and cells, um, and these are all based off of some other structures of like amino acids and peptides, um, and even some sort of carbohydrates in there um, and fat, um, phospholipids. You know, are you looking at this from a perspective of like, I'm just keeping hammering on systems and methodology from a movement perspective or from a, uh, uh, from a direct intervention perspective, or I'm looking more, you know, 
globally think about now from a biochemical perspective and from a physiology, where, where are you at with all that? I think the most immediate response was more related to what I've seen this past week and seeing the, the state of people coming in through uh, the train after like a holiday weekend or what that looks like. What's the, the bigger implication that it has on our health as a whole uh, from a, a uh, again, this just goes into uh, diving into the book Behave by Adam Bolsey. Like what, what underlying effect does this have on our, our day, on our week, on, on how we're going to be able to perform in a month or a year from now? What, uh, what implications does this have on, on the overall timeline? And just being able to understand how it's going to affect the, the things we're trying to accomplish in the program design, how it's going to affect the conversations that, that we have in order to, to stay constructive with where we're trying to get to our goals, our people, our athletes. Dude, awesome. Um, I think that's a really cool answer. Okay. Um, where can people find you? Uh, what do you want them to know about you? And then uh, where would you like everyone who listens to this uh, – to uh, connect with you or not. Like, it's completely fine if you don't want to connect with you, but, uh, you know, give a little shout out to you and ethos and everything else that you're doing. Yeah, I've uh, been a little off the map with the media wise. Uh, true strength coach in, in the dungeon, but I'm um, here at Ethos Training System as a coach. I do personal training and online training through livevitalis.com, launching that uh, last week, actually. I'm working through King, not the most technologically savvy, but uh, I'm excited to get that out there. And uh, yeah, uh, Instagram personal is at Hornstraw. And beyond that, uh, reach out if you have any questions. Love to connect with everyone out there. Again, love learning, love uh, comparison, nerding out like this. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, I appreciate you, man. Well, thank you again. And, uh, and uh, we'll definitely look to uh, connecting again here soon.